When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Group Text. I don't know about the rest of you, but I have been a fan of Grey's Anatomy forever. And there's a new book, it's an oral history, the untold stories behind uh, Grey's Anatomy. Joining me is the author, Lynette Rice. You were, or are, an entertainment reporter by trade. Correct. I've been at EW, Entertainment Weekly, for over 20 years, if you can believe that. Well, yeah, I can, because I know how long I've been in the business. Yeah. So, yes, I can. <laughs> did you always want to, what made you want to be an entertainment reporter? What did you start out wanting to be? I Just a regular, like, Woodward and Bernstein type after college. And I quickly figured out that those jobs weren't going anywhere. You'd be stuck in the muck with, like, other general assignment reporters so I figured out that specializing was the way. So I actually joined the Hollywood Trades. I joined the Hollywood Reporter. And that opened up this whole new world. And, you know, you forget growing up that the Hollywood that we enjoy on television and film is actually a business. And so it was it was quite fun covering it as a business because it's just as sexy behind the scenes as it is in front of the camera. It's also just as traumatic. Just um, as traumatic, yes. What was the first big story you covered? Oh, my gosh. Well, when I was at the trades... Um, the trades, for people who don't know, are Variety... And da- Hollywood Reporter, yes. Yeah. Hollywood Reporter, and now Deadline. Yeah, it was such a different world then because, you know, we didn't have to worry about online. So when we would walk in in the office every morning, I'd go get Variety and I would just pray to God that I wasn't beaten on a story. And so that first five minutes when I would come into the office, it was like it could be potentially traumatic. Um, I remember writing about I think one of the bigger stories I remember writing about was when ER was renewed and the license fee that that NBC was paying was astronomical. I remember a- astronomical at the time. At the time, I think it was thirteen million an episode at the time. If I even get my mouth, math, and, and that was a lot. And then I also remember when I, I broke the news about uh, Angel, Casey, and Lee breaking up. They were the trio that created uh, Frasier for NBC, and David Angel was the writer who was on the plane that went into the World Trade Center. Yeah, that um, that was yeah. very traumatic and oh, ups- horrible. Through Horrible. for a for the world, but losing him was a sent shock waves right. through the television industry. Right, it was, and that I mean that was such a successful trio, and I remember interviewing them, and they were such sweet men, uh, and you know they made this fantastic TV show. So God, those those were the days. Those, those were, were the, the days. days. Um, what drew you to Grey's Anatomy to the point that you actually wanted to write this book? I, it's funny because I, well, there's no time to really like 
at, at EW, when you're covering television, there's no time to really stand a show because, well, one, I'm, I, I think that's a generational thing. I feel like at my age, I can't stand a show that's a little obnoxious. Uh, but uh, I watched the show uh, and I, I, I liked the show, but um, um, it was funny. I didn't like vol- I didn't like start pitching the idea of a book. An editor actually came to me from Crown, who ended up being my first a- my agent, and he suggested, "Would you want to write about the show?" and when I was putting the proposal together for the uh, publishing companies, I, it felt very recappy. Like everything that I was pitching that I would talk about in the book, it's like we wrote, we like have talked about this for so much. How much more people do you want to hear about Isaiah Washington? How much do you really want to talk about Catherine Heigl? Apparently um, a lot. Uh, oh my God. If anything, um, I mean, I was, I, I, I was shocked that, I mean, obviously my goal was to try to find something new about those chapters in the show's life, but the subsequent press because of the book, um, I'm amazed that people still just want to dissect every last minute of Isaiah's time on the show. But it's what, this is their 17th? This is their 18th 18th season. season. Yeah, and when I started the book during the 16th season, I thought that was the last season. (laughs) Why do you think people were so attracted to the show? Well, I, as, I mean, as you know, uh, uh, medical dramas are, you know, as important to broadcast networks as like a cop drama from Dick Wolf. Right. And so uh, they'll always be there. The difference about this was that it was so heavily serialized. Uh, so we could get into that. We could still see the magic of surgery. We could still learn some crazy new technique, but we could also um, be delighted by how they would talk about their relationships over an open cavity, which by the way, if my doctor ever did that, I would die. Um, but the way they just casually met, talked about their marriages while they were trying to save somebody's life was just extraordinary. I think um, that's what kept people going. One of the things that I've discovered in the book, which I never realized, um, was how little support the show originally got from ABC. And and Steve McPherson, who was the head of ABC at that point, was incredibly honest in his interviews with you, saying he didn't believe in the show. Yeah, well, they didn't. Ex- they didn't actually need it because. They had just launched Desperate Housewives. They had just launched Lost, two, you know, great zeitgeist cutters. You know, they just huge shows. So this little hospital show was able to tape in silence at some abandoned hospital in the San Fernando Valley. They had six episodes they could get in the can. But the the flip side of that is they had to perform very quickly. Uh, today, when you talk to people like Ellen Pompeo and the, the current showrunner is Krista Vernoff, they're very candid about how Steve McPherson didn't love the show. And, you know, his tenure at ABC will go down in history mostly because of how he treated women. Um, but he even he, he he admits that, yes, there was all this negative attention about how he felt about the show. But end of the day, he still picked it up. He still had to agree to go with the show. So the dude deserves some credit. Well, and <laughs> and giving Shonda Rhimes a chance, because this was her big I mean, Shondaland, which now dominates most broadcast TV still, and that was you have a huge deal with Netflix now, or huge. one one of them. He was the he took a chance on her. 
that's such a huge, it's such a huge chance. And, you know, and what they would, the networks normally would do when they got somebody like that, they bring along experienced non-writing showrunners, i.e. men, uh, to come in and run it with her. So Peter Horton came in as an EP and he also directed. And then there was a non-writing producer by the name of James Period who came in and helped her as well. But even then she established pretty quickly, you know, this is my beast. I run the show, and and they let her run the show. It was crazy. Um, the from day one, the cast had great chemistry, at least on screen. And you talk about that there was this wonderful chemistry in the beginning amongst the cast. Where did that? Well, let me roll back. Most of the, a lot of them did not audition for the characters they originally, that they played. The, yes. The, the one the, I found most interesting, well, too, Isaiah and, and Sandra O. Oh. Right, right. It, and it's so hard now in retrospect to imagine Sandra O oh wanted Bailey's job. And um, and then Isaiah originally read for McDreamy's uh, role. And um, Ellen, or I'm sorry, Isaiah had this kind of, goofy theory that maybe um, Ellen didn't want art to imitate life because at the time she was dating her African-American boyfriend who became her husband. I don't know about that. Um, Who knows? Uh, But so he ended up getting Burke, which was the most perfect role for him. And then the same goes for Sandra Oh. They didn't see her in that position. I feel like she was, I don't know. Well, she was pretty young then. Um, But God, she we she went exactly where she was supposed to, and that was Christina. Which is interesting. The other thing that you talk about, which is fascinating, was that Rob Lowe was originally offered the job of McDreamy. And this is ultimately a success story of Les Moonves, believe it or not. I mean, Les Moonves was busy selling Rob on this brand spanking new drama called Las Vegas and you're going to be so happy here and we're going to treat you well. I mean, that's the brilliant salesman that Les Moonves was. ABC, in, in contrast, wasn't doing any of that. So it was very easy for him to make the uh, decision to go to CBS and he goes, you know, the rest they say is McDreamy history, which is you know was so funny. Uh, but what a, and what a, it's hard. There's so Hollywood is littered with stories like this of the woulda, coulda, shouldas, the people who could have gotten the role. Um, but I'm so glad they gave Patrick the job. <laughs> well, what was so interesting is here he is he's this known quantity, and again, people forget this was a different time in his career. He was still known very much as you know in the '80s and Camp Amula. Yeah, um, they made him read and test. Read and test. I know, I know. And now even I picture it, it seems like he would be kind of short for Ellen too. I don't even know what it is. And he, and the thing about, if you can, I picture about Rob Lowe is that he seems to, he enjoys his legacy and, and is in on the joke too. Yeah. Uh, of his legacy. And so he seems a little too, you know, uh, a little too lighthearted for the role, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I'm just glad it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's fascinating how things like that work out. You couldn't even begin to imagine Rob Lowe in that particular role because you're like, oh, he's too pretty. He's too that this. But then he goes and does something like West Wing 
and is almost the nerdy guy. Correct. Right. Right. You know, and you, you think about all those times when McDreamy would look at Meredith with those doe eyes. And I just can't picture Ro- Rob Lowe doing that the way that Patrick did. That makes you just feel sorry for McDreamy. Yeah. It, 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 it ended up being cast correctly. Yeah. Um, 12 main characters, which is insane. And, and something else I found fascinating in the book was how the writers managed to juggle 12 main characters and everyone had to have a separate storyline plus what the hospital storyline was for that episode. Yeah, yeah, yes. I can't imagine how they did that and also how Shonda kept track of all of it in creating what's called the Bible of where each character is going to go. I mean... That's that's crazy. And now, um, well, and it, it gives you an idea of, I, I mean, go back. I mean, when I was at, um, when I was at EW, back in the early days when the show launched, you started to very quickly hear stories of how shows were kind of going off the tracks because they just had so much to juggle and they were long hours. Friends, of course, was another one of those. And we would hear that there were long hours on Grey's Anatomy, but we never really understood why. And and through the book, I was able to, in addition to like getting a, a, a taste of it from the actors, the crew really gave an, a true idea of what life was like, which kind of feeds into what's happening right now in Hollywood. We may see a strike with all the crew people because of the ridiculous long hours they have to work. There were very long hours on Grace very early on because there was really no leader at the helm. There right now Debbie Allen is, you know, the iron fist on that show, but they were still trying to finding that leader behind the scenes and since Ellen was still very new, even though she was number one on the call sheet, she wasn't that person on set saying, "Let's keep this going" cuz you know, she was still kind of finding her way. So, it's like the the crazy people kind of ran the asylum. And so there were plenty of times when the actors set the tone. If they're going to stay in their trailer because they want to, they're going to stay in the trailer because they want to. So I, I, it sounds like it was very long hours and very miserable for the crew, especially early on. Yeah, but to, for the writers, I'm just thinking from the writer's point of view, how do you even begin to construct? And, I, and this is, I think, things people don't necessarily know. In general... The character's story arc is planned out in advance of writing the scripts for the season. All right. So, and I was reading that it had, so you have 12 main characters, all who have separate storylines as but the, as their personal lives that have to be moved along each episode. Plus, there were three cases each episode. Yeah. It, that's a real complicated Venn diagram. Oh, I know. I know. And then and then one writer told me, too, that I I, I take for granted, too. I, I kept forgetting that I actually got that quote was after every table read, there would be a line of actors outside of Shonda's office to talk about their characters and invariably, you know, object to whatever was happening. And And I can't even imagine what that was like. For Shonda, I mean, of course, you got to take the meeting with Ellen. But as you go down the pecking order, I mean, do you take the meeting with Nurse Boki or something? Yeah. I always, <laughs> do you remember those slips in the market and you would pull out your number? Right, right, I right. always, I always imagine like in front of the EP's office on any of these big ensemble type shows, you have to go take your number. 
Right, right. Yeah, that sounds that sounds awful. And I, it's very smart to keep a Bible, but then that there's also a writer's assistant whose job it is to make sure the medical cases they embark upon are rooted in some bit of reality. Like, you know, the, I don't know if you remember the case of the kid with the trees for hands and feet and stuff. I mean, he looked like a walking tree. And there was a case of that in India. So that was just enough for them to like go with this nutty storyline of this bubbly looking dude. Um, uh, But just that alone, I mean, that in itself is a lot of work. And then and then compound that with the early threat of leaks. There were, uh, I talked to a couple of journalists who who covered it along with us at EW, and the, the writer's room was just panicked about things getting out about what they were about to write. I mean, they found out, a writer at E! found out very early on that Kate Walsh was going to come on as the ex-wife. And was going to, you know, she spoiled that. So, I mean, it was cr- crazy. It's crazy, the stuff that they had, they got out. And, and so Shonda had to contend with all that. Something she didn't really understand why people cared so much. Hello. Hello. So, <laughs> you know, just like all shows, everyone comes in and it's all warm and fuzzy and kumbaya the first season. Right. When did things go south? What was the first crack? Well, Isaiah was definitely the first crack. And, and that's, did that come at season? It, season two. Season. It's only season two. Was it before two. season two or during season two that his comments got publicized? During, was it season two or is it season three? Oh, my God. It's, it's all a blur now. It's one of those seasons. I think it was season two because that was then the same year that they won their first Golden Globe. Right. Because I remember and, covering the Golden Globes and that had just happened yeah, yeah. And you always see the first year, it always used to crack me up, all these ensemble casts would come together and they'd rent a party bus and arrive. And that was the year they all started showing up separately for the most part. Oh, my gosh. How sad is that? Yeah, but you always, you could see, you know, you see that coming on the red carpet. So how, what, break that down for us, because that was the real first crack in the facade. It where was. you knew it wasn't unicorns and rainbows. Right. And that was definitely one that I wondered how much more could I get because that was the first massive story out of Grey's that just got 24-7 coverage. And they thought that somebody leaked it out of the production office. Remind people of what it was. Okay, so it was uh, another, it was a late night of shooting. Uh, uh, Isaiah was always on set at, on time and he was scheduled to be in a scene with Patrick Dempsey sitting there waiting. Patrick shows up in this, you know, chipper way and just something about the way that he arrived probably a couple minutes late, just set Isaiah off and prompted him to shout at him. And in that shouting dropped a homophobic slur. Immediately they started pushing each other. Other actors like Catherine Heigl got involved. So they broke it up Oh, and so they physically started shoving each other. Shoving, shoving, um, because it just got ugly quickly. And I happened to find the writer whose episode was that particular one, and he recalls standing in Video Village 
watching this and he says, you know, I'm six feet four and I, and he knows that he could take them, but he's wondering, do I get involved? And ultimately he didn't. He just sat there and watched as it just devolved. And because I think there was that level of like, how could this be happening among professionals? And within 24 hours, there were, you know, meetings with ABC. There were uh, sensitivity classes, like how to behave. There was an apology, but at the same time, um, that homophobic slur was directed toward T.R. Knight, which prompted him to give the exclusive statement to people saying, I'm gay. I hope this isn't the narrative. And so it, it seemed as if things were going to be okay, but then m- scratch to the Golden Globes, where Isaiah makes the crazy decision in the press room to repeat the homophobic slur. And this is also after he shot a PSA for Glad about what he did. And he had completed his apology tour, and then he makes this decision. And so all I could think of, you know, it trying to rationalize, explain why he would make that decision was, you know, there's no there's no class offered by studios for young actors when they become overnight successes. No one teaches them how to behave, you know, when that when the spotlight is on you. And I laugh because you say overnight success and no one's really an overnight success. Everyone's been right. slogging at it for a while. So I think that's what was so puzzling was he was a veteran. Right. Right. But then again, nothing he did compared to the success of Grey's Anatomy. Uh, at the same time, I mean, I mean, I, I'm so glad there aren't cameras in my workplace 24-7. Oh, could you, imagine? The, you imagine? Could you imagine? Because <laughs> we all do stupid stuff. <laughs> but, but that was, how do you think that got leaked? Because it didn't have to be leaked. So the writer I talked to, he believed that somebody in the production office leaked it to one of the tabloids. And that's how it got out. And it became huge. It was a huge story. Huge story. Huge story. And um, and I, oh gosh. And, and so I, people had that statement. I think that people also got the exclusive, an exclusive apology from Isaiah. Um, um, it seemed like it was nipped in the bud that they can move on. And so the fact that it got to that, and I even think, too, that Shonda was, you know, regretting that it came to that because she really loved that character of Burke. I mean, Burke and Christina has such fantastic chemistry together, and she didn't want to let that that character go. So it was so nice that the circle was closed when Sandra Oh did finally leave the show. They did bring back Isaiah to help with that story. Um which I want to get to, which is another sort of interesting thing, I, I think. Um, but for, once that happened with Isaiah, like, the floodgates opened. Floodgates opened. Like, um, all of a sudden you find out, little by little, everyone hates each other. This one is friends with that one. It gets very clicky. You find out that Patrick and um, Ellen don't like each other and would have screaming matches. And then Catherine Heigl basically implodes in public. Right, right. At the Emmys. And, well, and so, and as I studied like this, like I study this, like it's a class at a university, um, trying to understand, too, Catherine's behavior, I I like to look at it now through the lens of Me Too and, and question whether 
uh, the press would have been so negative about Catherine now uh, versus then. Because if you really look at it, it got it kind of got to a sexist level, you know, playing up this diva status, this ungrateful status. Uh, she was a breakout. She was the first one on the show to win an Emmy. Um, everyone, e- movies wanted her. They wanted to cast her. And she was interested in that that cast. I mean, you know, if the brass ring is handed to you, you're not going to say, mm-hmm. no, no, I can't. Um, and a question was asked of her one year, like after she had won the Emmy, did you submit yourself? And she said there was nothing worthy that year to tune, to turn in. I mean, that was the year that like her character saved a deer. I mean, it wasn't like the high point of her career. So that you, they took that, which is the truth and ran with it. But suddenly it was like a strike at this diva and oh my God, she must be unbearable to work with no matter what. I mean, the people around her too said she and, Shonda just began to clash. Why? You don't, I mean, you don't clash with the boss and you don't piss off the writers because they're the ones that can kill off your character. I had one source told me that he surmised that, uh, he speculated that Shonda was a little jealous of the success that Catherine had achieved, that she became bigger than life. Um, I don't know, that, I mean, I ran with it in the book. I don't know if I totally believe that because, I mean, Shonda was a success in her own right. Um, um, But to be a new showrunner, too, and to watch these actors become massive, I mean, that must must be a sight to see, too, because ultimately you still want them coming to work and doing their job. And being being humble and not pulling shit. Right, right, right. Right. Which, but, when yeah. you have that many people who break out, you know, starting with Catherine at the time, you're going to get some egos. You're going to get some egos. You're going to get some egos. You're going to get somebody like Patrick who says, why do I have to work long hours? Why can't I just go race my cars? You know, and, and they're going to start to question that stuff. And they don't want to work as hard because it is still a grind. Um, I mean, they're long hours. So uh, it's it's incredible how, you know, we build these shows up too. We make them huge hits. And so at the same time, we're surprised when these actors, you know, become, you know, a little self-absorbed right. after we spent all that time building them up. What started the major rift between Ellen and Patrick? I think the longer he was there, the, the um, answer he got too about, wanting to spend time on set. And the other thing, I, I remember talking to him when I was at EW very early on in that third season, Shonda was really playing too much with the will they or won't they. And it got really frustrating to watch because remember they split up for a while and then it's like, are they going to be together? And that, and it drove fans crazy. And so I think that led to some frustration too. And I remember even talking to Ellen about it. It's like, can we just like make a decision here? And so I think, you know, dealing with, a storyline like that. And then ultimately I think there's some fatigue with the story in general, you know, coupled with just the fatigue of working on that show. So I think that also became very frustrating for Ellen to watch a guy complain about time on the set when she was there all the freaking time and working her ass off, working her ass off. And then I have to imagine too, for the longest time, even though her character's name is in the title, 
he was the one that would attract the, the, the crowds when they would come to set because he was this charismatic guy. And the women would just glom onto him. And my God, even the reporters, myself included, when you're in the room with this guy, I mean, you, you, he's, it's unavoidable. It's like, oh my God, is there sex? Is it blinking on my forehead? I mean, can he see that I just am in love with him? I mean, to have to battle that kind of, you know, a super person that had to have been hard for the longest time for her. And, you know, so there were all these fights and feuds and this, and yet, yet there's been a handful of characters that have stayed steady in order to get to Ellen and demanding equal pay, which was fantastic. So many of them have come back for episodes. Uh, that speaks to, well, does that speak is- to Shonda or everybody's gotten? older, wiser, and mellowed out. Well, because I mean, everything I've read about those times that people have come back, it's everyone's been very, it's been very warm and fuzzy again. Right, right. Well, definitely with the, the situation involving Patrick, I mean, we know, I mean, I know now through reporting out the book that those final days, he was unbearable to work with on the set. And there was really a lot of tension with him. So, when Patrick did come back to the show uh, last season, I have to believe, and she even kind of hints toward this on her new podcast, Ellen, that um, they had a little bit of a coming to Jesus discussion. And, you know, they they settled their differences before he came back to the show. And ultimately it speaks to the businesswoman that she is. I mean, it's uh, you, you bring a Patrick back because it's a stunt. It's great yeah. for ratings. It's great for attention. And it did exactly what it was supposed to do. Everyone was talking about Grey's again. So, you, you know, you got to do that. I think she already had a, a great relationship with T.R. Knight um, the, and for him to come back. And the same with Eric Dane. Uh, and, you know, we're about to see Kate Walsh. I mean, who could be mad at Kate Walsh? The the key, of course, is will we see a return of Katherine Heigl? I mean, I want it. I want it bad. But the problem with that is the writers set it up that Justin Chambers, who was another one of those that just kind of left in the middle of the night with no huge storyline other than the fact that he suddenly goes back to Izzy after the writers spent all this time convincing us that he and Joe belong together. And I actually believed that. Right. They had such great chemistry. And then he decides to go back to Izzy. So if you bring back Katherine Heigl, I feel like you kind of have to bring back Karev too. Didn't he uh, leave not because he wanted to? You don't, I... That's what I always heard was he had no intention of leaving the show. I don't think there was any intention. And in fact, there was at one point when Shonda was looking way ahead at the end of the show, her finale, uh, from what I understand, involved Karev. So, you know, that's been scrapped. Yeah. Um, um, no one is talking on the record about it. There are definitely heard of, you know, stories about what may have happened. But the fact that it happened so quickly, there was a statement out and he didn't actually appear in that final episode means that this this didn't come about in a copacetic way. No. Something happened to change things drastically. And, and yeah. Well, I'm um, counting on you to find that out. I want to talk about <laughs> Ellen. Fascinating okay. woman. Yeah. Fascinating. Knows and, well, knew and still knows. You stick with a winner. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. never heard about her wanting to leave. You right. never heard about her being disruptive. She's always been professional. You only hear, like, she's nice to people on set. 
and she has stuck it out. And wow, did she fight hard to be to get equal pay and get not necessarily but what she felt she deserved and got it. She got it. She got How it. How did she get that kind of power? Obviously, I'm assuming Shonda was behind her when she asked for this this money. Right, right. Well, as with each member of that original ensemble leaving, her importance to the franchise just went up and up and up. Um, I think Patrick leaving was a huge turning point for her, too, as an actress. And then it really, because it really did put all of the attention on the lead character, because maybe even Shonda didn't want it to be that way, but that coupling, McDreamy and Meredith, I mean, they they were center stage for ten years. It was the first. And, it was the first shot of the first show. Yeah, yeah, it was it was crazy, and and it, you're right. It is an ensemble show. There are a lot of other great romances on that, but people were glued to that. So when he left, that was a, a big difference. And in fact, Ellen a couple years ago uh, gave this really eye opening interview to Variety where she admitted that it was a disaster behind the scenes for the first decade. And that's um, a atmosphere that she wanted to change. She wanted to change the culture and she did it. She did it with Debbie Allen. She stopped working on Friday. She made it a, a, a better place to work. And that's where her leadership really shined. And she's getting compensated for it. She's getting compensated for it. Hell yes, she deserves it. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, ABC wants that show to go on forever. So at this point, it's all Ellen's call. It's Ellen's call. And even then, if we finally do see the end of Grey's Anatomy, there's been already been talk about a spinoff. And that spinoff will be successful if Ellen agrees to appear for a couple episodes. Right. Well, and you speak of spinoffs, Kate Walsh came in. They spun her off onto private practice, which was incredibly successful. Right. And now she's coming back as a regular cast member to Grace. It's, I mean, I think that it, it was a smart thing to do. Um, and, I mean, the, the, the attention that that got. But, again, this all suggests we're coming to an end. We, we're coming to an end, right? I mean, it's got to be. It's got to be that. What does – I mean, Shonda's so prolific and so respective – what do you think, and, and doing all these interviews and knowing her and all that, what do you see her doing? What's How are they going to wrap this up? Well, right now, this is Krista Vernoff's show. Krista Vernoff is a Shonda mini-me. You know, Shonda's off counting her dollars at Netflix, and she's obviously focused on the second season of Bridgerton. But, Krista's, w- but Kristen's been there since the beginning. Chris is very early the beginning, on. And yeah. Krista will write that script, but Shonda will know about it. And Shonda will have an opinion, no doubt, about how this show should end as well. So there will definitely, I believe, be lots of discussions then. I, I, It's crazy how many theories that are out there already about how the show will end. Like there's one theory that it's, it's a Roseanne-like ending where all of this has been a dream of Ellen who's had – Alzheimer's this whole time. I mean, just nutty stuff. Um, well, like Bob, like Bob Newhart. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And um, I would love it if it ended like a moment from the movie Still Alice, where we see Ellen or uh, Meredith in the throes of Alzheimer's and her daughter Lola is talking to her and Lola wants to become a surgeon like her mom. Pretty much, you know, close it off the way it began. With the Kate Burton character who played Ellen, who played Meredith's mom, 
who has Alzheimer's. Right. But then that would probably hurt a spinoff if they needed uh, Meredith to show up. So I think Meredith will have all her capacities when this ends. I, I, I definitely think like they've raised the bar with all these comebacks. So they're going to have to bring more people back before it, it goes away. Who do you, who's going to be the hardest to bring back, do you think? I think it's Heigl. I think it's Heigl. And, you know. Wait, she, I'm sure she wants to come back. Yes, there was a story last season. She gave a quote to someone saying that she, there were some initial talks, but it didn't work out. I'm sure she wants to come back. I really do. And I think, and, and if they can work it out with Patrick, who was described as terrorizing the set, if they can work it out with him, I mean, come on, you've got to be able to work it out with Katherine Heigl. How many more seasons do you think it's going to go? What are you hearing? Because you're in the know. This has to be it. This has Why? to be it. Um, 18 years. And, you know, God bless her. Ellen is very open about, look, you guys, I've aged on camera. You've watched me age. And I'm not saying that she's aged out of the role, but you're sometimes you watch the show and I have a, I wonder, like, it's just... Is she just going through the motions? Is she just so done with this? And, I mean, I'd be done with it. I mean, how many different ways can you talk about a, a Whipple procedure on this show? So I, I I feel like this has to be the end so she can find something else to do. I don't know if she'll ever do anything else. Nothing will come close. But who cares? She can fall asleep on her pillow of million-dollar bills. Yeah, but, man, she has earned it. What do you think, before I let you go, is going to be – and this is going back to you just being – in the entertainment reporting business. What's the next big show? What do you see coming down the pipeline? Especially because, by the way, the landscape has changed so much. Right. With all the streamers and releasing entire shows at once and Squid Game basically blowing up Netflix. Isn't that crazy? And it's already done better than Bridgerton. Um, I actually have high hopes for, um, you know, there's a prequel in the works at HBO, uh, a Game of Thrones prequel. Um, I actually think that there may be some promise there. I think the days of the ratings of Grey's Anatomy from they're over. Yeah, they're gone. No, I believe and, that too. Broadcast TV and even cable. Yeah, the numbers now. You, you the numbers. You can't figure out numbers anymore. No, no, and we won't ever get that. And you know, it, it was shocking when ABC let Shonda Rhimes go to Netflix. They they couldn't meet her financial demand because there was real fear there that. She couldn't come up with another Grey's Anatomy. And by the way, she didn't. Uh, the, the thing that came close was Scandal, which was a great show. We all wrote about it. But even then, its ratings never really matched what mm-hmm. Grey's achieved. And then Bridgerton. And then and then look what happened with Bridgerton. But, but of you course, couldn't do Bridgerton on traditional broadcast no, you TV. No, wouldn't. And it's, it's hard to even trust the numbers coming out of Netflix because they're not honest with us. So we don't know. We I think we we think they measure just by like you tune into a show for two minutes and that's enough. Right. So um, I I I I'm just looking forward to the the prequel for Game of Thrones. But beyond that, I just hope we won't get another FBI show from Dick Wolf. No, oh, but I love Dick Wolf. Yeah, he's, he's so good. Guy, but but he's God, so God. good. How don't many shows does he have to have? As long <laughs> as they're the good quality that they are, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> That and Aaron Sorkin. We need a new show oh. from Aaron Sorkin. Oh, definitely, definitely. I want, I want another West Wing. That's been so great to stream uh, on Netflix is watching old. I love that. Oh, I, I watched the whole thing from episode one again. You did? Yeah, oh, it was, a, it was fun. Stuff. Yeah, especially Lynette, during Trump's line. Yeah, will fun. you promise me that you will come back when it's time to talk more entertainment stuff and behind the scenes and 
what we're My all pleasure. watching. Uh, let's do it. Let's, let's do make it. it a date. The book is fantastic. Tell us the title again and where everybody can find it. How to Save a Life, the inside story of Grey's Anatomy. You can find it at a Barnes & Noble or Amazon.com. And if you haven't read it, run. I'm, I, like I said, I'm a quarter of the way through and I can't put it down. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you.